so good to worship God today. Let me pray for us, Lord God. We thank you that you are here, that you are not a far and distant God, but you are with us through the valleys and the mountains, oh God. Please speak through me and through your word today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Awesome. You can take a seat. Thank you, team. That was beautiful. Thank you so much to those two of you who shared today. It's such an honour to hear your stories. We're so blessed by it. I thank you so much for your honesty. I actually love the stories where you're still on the journey, you're still on the path, because that's what life is about, actually. It isn't just from darkness to light. There is actually a path and a journey that God's leading us on. So I just want to thank you for that. It's so brave, um, and we're so blessed by it. Um, My name's Anna. It's a pleasure to share with you today. I have a really good friend who for many years has been longing to get married. She doesn't always talk about it, doesn't always mention it, doesn't walk around with a sign, although that's one strategy. Um, But it's always something that's on her heart and her mind. We regularly meet up to pray and ask God to work in the areas of our lives that we need breakthrough. And it was something that's always been sitting there at the back of her heart. So many areas of her life were thriving. She was running her own business. She was very heavily involved in church. But there was never a man, the right man, to join her on her path. And there were many prayers that were prayed in our lounge room and many times seeking God, asking him to bring breakthrough in that area. But all the while knowing that that may not be God's purpose and will in her life. But last weekend, my husband and I got to see her walk down the aisle. I couldn't stop crying um, thinking of all the times that we had sought God and asked him to move in that area of her life. And it was such a testimony to God's faithfulness in the way that he quite quickly heard her prayer and ended that long waiting period. If anyone knows older Christians who get married, all of a sudden the wedding's in like three weeks and everyone's got to be there. (laughs) But it was a really joyous occasion and it was particularly special for my husband and I because it was the first night that we were going to be kid-free since my second son had been born um, a year or so ago. And uh, thank you, Jesus. Um, My parents were looking after our kids and so we were staying at a hotel in the city and I just kept thinking about the buffet breakfast without children, sleeping in... Just having a slow buffet breakfast. I read the newspaper in bed. It was incredible. And so we were driving. We dropped our kids off and quite happily said goodbye to my parents and drove from Shell Harbour up to the wedding in North Sydney. But as we drove, there was also a real heaviness and sadness on our shoulders. Because five weeks ago, I had a friend from my work, a close friend, who gave birth to a healthy baby boy. His name was Arlo. They took him home and for three days they just soaked up that newborn goodness. They cuddled him and snuggled him and took photos of him with his little older brother, Oscar. But after three days, something wasn't quite right and they took him back to the hospital and they discovered that he had gotten a virus. And it was just a normal cold and flu virus, but because he was so little, it had started attacking his heart. And so they live in Newcastle and they flew him down um, on a helicopter, an emergency helicopter, to Westmead Hospital. And um, over the next few weeks, um, little Arlo was put on a machine which is called an ECMO machine. And basically that was helping him survive, helping his heart to beat so that they could work out how to fight the virus and also help his little heart recover. 
He was on that machine for about a week and a half when they tried to wean him off that machine. But his heart still wasn't strong enough, so they put him back on the machine. By this point, word had got out and thousands of Christians around the world were praying. As many of you know, I work for Compassion and also Amy and Sam, which is Arlo's parents. They go to a great church up in the um, Hunter. And so everyone from across Compassion and all of our families and people across social media and the church, we were all praying. I remember when I was praying for little Arlo, just picturing him in the hospital bed with all these machines connected up to him. But I pictured angels standing around him in that room. And then outside Westmead Hospital, thousands of saints standing around that hospital all praying and believing and standing in support for little baby Arlo. They tried to wean him off the machine the first time. It didn't work. They put him back on. And then one week later, they tried a second time. And the thing is with this ECMO machine is that you can't try more than once. This was, this was the only chance that he was going to get and they had to join him off the machine. And so that was on the Friday, the day before the wedding. We knew that they were going to take him off the machine. And so, as before, all of us began to pray. Thousands upon thousands of God's family stood together in faith. I was praying all day Friday, and the morning it went quite well. He was weaned off the machine. But at one o'clock, we were told that his blood pressure had started becoming volatile. By 4pm, they said that his blood pressure was crashing and they weren't able to keep it under control. Half an hour later, they said that they took him off the machine so that his parents could have a cuddle. At that point, we were still praying for a miracle because we know that God can raise the dead. But later that night, I knew I was going to cry, but later that night, um, we found out that baby Arlo had passed away. And so that Saturday morning as we left to go to my friend's wedding, I had the great joy of knowing that God had answered a prayer that I had prayed for many years with my friend who had waited a long time to see God answer in her life. But then I also had the weight of of knowing that God hadn't answered my prayer about baby Arlo. He hadn't intervened and I knew that he could but it wasn't part of his will. And although our grief was so minuscule and tiny between, compared to what Arlo's parents were feeling, it was still there because it was a grief that knew that these things shouldn't happen. Babies shouldn't die. We live in a broken world where there is so much hurt and pain and grief. And so we carried that and we also carried knowing that God hadn't intervened when we knew that he could have, that he is a miracle working God, but he'd chosen not to. When we got to the wedding about five minutes before we arrived, um, my husband's car, his power steering stopped working. Um, Now, Josh drives, I couldn't care less, but I'll tell you because some of you will care. He drives a 2018 Toyota Prado. So the power steering is not when to stop working. And interestingly, NRMA had only called him a few days before to ask if he wanted to renew the roadside assistance, but he said, no, I'm driving a new car. I don't need any roadside assistance. So we're there with this broken down car. And suddenly it just felt like I was living in these two railway tracks of emotion. On the one side, I had the pure delight of celebrating my friend and also the joy of looking forward to a buffet breakfast. (laughs) And on the other side, I had this great weight and heaviness of little baby Arlo. And then on top of that, insignificant but still frustrating experience of having our car break down. 
And isn't that what life is? Isn't that the seasons that we walk through? That isn't just the good and the bad, but it's also the big and the small. Sometimes there's seasons of great joy. Sometimes there's seasons of deep sadness. Sometimes it's just the small frustrations of running out of petrol or locking yourself out of the house. Two things I'm very good at. (laughs) And this is the path that we walk along. This is the path that actually we need God through. So the question I want to ask us today and look at God's word to hear what he has to say is what do we do in those moments? What do we do in the moments where we have the railway tracks of emotions, of joy and pain, of delight and frustration? Where do we turn to as we walk the path, the mountains and the valleys that God is leading us on? Well, today I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You can pull out your devices or you can have a look at it on the screen. And I want to read the whole passage so you can get kind of some of the contents and the grit of what Paul is talking about. But then I'm going to break it down with us, for us. So this is, in a letter, this is a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. In verse 1 it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. But just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, So also also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now the first thing that we need to point out is that Paul has been through a really challenging time. He says in verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we have experienced. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is not just the everyday ups and downs of life, locking yourself out of your house, your car breaking down. This is where Paul didn't want to go on living. He despaired of life itself. We get a bit of an idea into what Paul's life looked like a little bit later in Corinthians. It says in chapter 11, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. 
Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I was thinking he'd write a killer autobiography. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. We're getting it, Paul. In danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked beside everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul was a man who knew what it was to experience pain. When he said we were under great pressure, that can also be translated, we were burdened beyond strength, which is literally translated weighted down. And we all know that feeling of being weighted down where we carry a grief that almost physically feels like we're carrying it on our shoulders. And although Jesus tells us that he will carry our burdens, there are some weights that some of you have been through that actually won't be fully lifted until Jesus returns. Some griefs that are on your shoulders that won't be fully lifted until he comes back to redeem our our world. See, some people say that God won't give you any more than you can handle. But here Paul is saying the opposite. He's saying, actually, we went through things that were far beyond our ability to endure. We were completely, completely ill-equipped to handle what came our way. But, he says, this happened so that we would not rely on ourselves but on God. Because if we only faced the things that we could handle, then we would have no need for our Lord. And Paul knows that the greatest and fastest path to run away from God is self-reliance. And the world will tell us that we're in control and we can carry our own lives, but we desperately need God. So the thing about pressure is that it always brings forth something. If you think sometimes it brings forth something good. If you think about a profiterole, if you apply just the right amount of pressure, then you get a little bit of nice custard and chocolate coming into your mouth. Sometimes it brings forth things you don't want to. If you, if you apply pressure to a pimple. But pressure always brings forth something that's hiding underneath. Just yesterday when I was at a set of traffic lights, the car next to me, the traffic light went red and this truck just came screaming along and just rammed straight up the back of the car next to me. This poor woman sitting in the vehicle. And the guy in the truck just lost it. He was swearing and yelling, annoyed off his brain, even though he was the guy who ran up the back of this woman. See, pressure always brings forth whatever's hiding underneath. We rarely lose our temper unless there's some sort of pressure. And see, that's why it's so important to keep storing up the truths of God. Because there's going to be moments in our life when that's all that we have to cling to. When the pressure comes, what is going to come forth? That's why we need to keep reminding ourselves that actually even when God doesn't answer our prayer for a miracle, he's still a miracle working God. That even when he may not bring healing in this situation, he's still our healer God. That even when everything about this situation doesn't seem good, he's still a good God. Those are the truths that we need to 
tore up into ourselves because that's what's going to come forth when the pressure comes. And for Paul, when that great pressure came, what came forth was a deeper reliance on God. Pressure always brings out whatever's hiding underneath. And what's interesting about Paul is that he doesn't cover over how bad things have been for him. It's such a, so refreshing to always hear the testimonies from 180TC because they're real and they're honest. And sometimes in Christian circles, we don't like to talk about some of the negative stuff. We're too quickly, we jump to the silver lining or we want to go through all the ways that God could work out something for good. And while there's times and places for that, the Bible doesn't do that. But actually, it enters into the grief and the emotion. It goes all the way into the valley and experiences it in all of its rawness and realness. All throughout the Psalms, you hear of these authors pouring themselves out before the Lord. In Psalm 42, it says, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? He's not holding back in going into the negative experience. He's not just trying to focus on the positive or think about the sunshine or look for the silver lining or give religious, quick, easy answers. He's entering into the grief. And that's what we need to do with our grief and the grief of those around us. We need to enter into it and sit with it. Because at its heart, God wants us to invite him into that pain. He wants to walk through the valley with us because he has been there before and he knows how to get to the other side. Paul wanted him, them to know that he wasn't this elite apostle who had been trampsing around the place having a lovely time. His calling had come with a cost. So what do we do in those moments of grief and pain? What did Paul do in that situation? Well, we need to stand on what we know. Because in these times, there are so many things that we don't know. I don't know why God didn't intervene in baby Arlo's life. I don't know why he answered my prayer in one thing and not the other. I don't know why things happen to some people and not others. So there can be so many unknowns in seasons of grief and hurt. So in those moments, we need to stand on what we know. And Paul did this by knowing who God is. Did you notice the very first thing that Paul says to the Corinthians after his greeting? He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The very first thing off Paul's lips was praise. And this wasn't just general praise, this was specific praise. He's praising the God of compassion, the Father of comfort, because he knows that's what he needs. He's focusing on what he knows that he needs from God. He was in a season where he desperately needed compassion. He desperately needed comfort. And so he was speaking out to the one who gave those things to him. He was calling forth those truths, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He was praising God. He went there far before he went to his circumstances. He started with who God is. So secondly, God also knew his calling. Most of you will remember Paul's history. He was the guy who was hunting down and killing Christians all across Judea and Jerusalem. In fact, he was the one who stood there and watched and approved the stoning of Stephen, where he was stoned to death. Paul was an evil guy. 
But then he had an encounter with Jesus and everything changed for him. He got called by God. God through Ananias said about Paul, he said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul's ministry began with a clear calling on his life. God was showing just how great he could redeem, that he could call a man who was murdering Christians to become, well, not just someone who was one, but was actually calling them to God himself. So Paul started with his calling. That's what begun his ministry, and it was something that Paul held onto and kept at the forefront of his mind every day of his life. Because every single one of Paul's letters begins the same way. This is how he defines himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul starts with his calling. The the word apostle just means sent out. So Paul knows that he is one who has been sent out by Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Paul needed to know his calling so that when things got tough, he wasn't tempted to turn back. He knew that that was the road he was meant to be walking on. So when it got bumpy or narrow or hilly or hard, he wasn't looking for an alternative route because he knew what God had called him to. And he knew that it was part of the bigger purpose that God had called him to. At the moment, I am, I'm training for a half marathon and I've been driving down to Penrith once a week to do some of my long training runs and I often do laps around the Nepean River or I'll go down to the Regatta Centre. But Alan Douglas always makes fun of me on Strava because he can't understand why I would drive all the way down to Penrith to do a long run when there are so many beautiful trail runs up here in the mountains. But what Alan doesn't understand is that I'm a bit of a wuss. And the reason I go down there is because it's flat, it's easy, there are no hills. See, trail runs may be beautiful, but they're hilly, they're bumpy. I always fall over on the tree root and have to get up. I'm very clumsy. But actually, it doesn't really matter what surface you train on, as long as it reflects the race conditions. If you're going to be running in a road race that's fairly flat, then that's fine to do laps around the Nepean River. Thank you, Alan. (laughs) But if you're training for the UTA 100, which is a gruelling, steep, rocky trail run from Katoomba, then the river walk is simply not going to cut it. Now, my hunch is that many Christians start off with their walk with God and think that it's just going to be like the river walk that it's going to be flat and easy and smooth. So when it starts to get a bit bumpy, when the road begins to narrow, when some hills appear, they can't understand where God is. But actually, God doesn't promise that the path is going to be smooth. He just promises that he will be with us and that he's working it all for good. And he's got a plan and a purpose in mind. And actually anything that is lost will be far outweighed and redeemed by his relationship with us. He calls us to walk the path. And that's why we need to know our calling. Because we as a people of God, we have a clear calling from God. We are called to love God and to love other people. We are called to be leaders 
to be those who forgive first, to be the peacemakers. We have a clear calling from God, but it's not going to be easy. But we need to know who we are in Christ so that as we walk along the path, we're not looking for alternative routes when things get tough, that we know this is part of his plan and we stay on the path, regardless of how hilly it gets or if we trip over and we need to get up again, because we know it's our calling and the purpose of God. We're in the midst of toilet training at the moment. Can I get an amen from any parents out there? <laughs> and he's, he's getting better, my eldest son, Hunter. But there was a period where every single day that I would pick him up from daycare, he would have had an accident. And at our daycare, whenever there is an, a toileting accident, they put the clothes in these evil double-bagged plastic bags. They're not inherently evil, but they are because of what they symbolise. And so every day I would go into daycare and as I walked in the door, I would just be overwhelmed by this mild anxiety and dread that there would be a double-bagged waiting for me. And they attach this little piece of paper to the plastic bags and it fills out your child's name and then there's this series of tick boxes. And the very last tick box is the one that you never want to see. It says toileting accident, and I won't use the word that they use there, but it's for the number two toileting accidents. And so every day I would come there and think, dear God, please let this not be a last chick box day. <laughs> but many times it was. And so I would pick up sometimes multiple double bags and after putting the boys to bed, I would spend my night scraping day-old poo from my son's underwear and then putting it into the wash. Sorry, I knew that was going to be too much information for you all. That's not what you come to church for. Now, will I ever do that for any other child who is not in my family in the history of time? No. Will I ever enjoy doing that instead of sitting on the lounge and enjoying a glass of wine? No. But will I continue to do it for my poor blessed son as he continues to learn how to just do poos in the toilet, Hunter? And my second child when he gets to that point. Yes, because I know my calling. I know that God has called me to be a mum in this season. And pooey undies and toddler tramped tantrums isn't going to get me off the path. When it gets rocky and bumpy, I know I need to keep walking this path because it's the privilege that God has called me on. So we need to know our calling. We need to keep it front of mind. In all of this, we need to firstly know who God is. We need to start with him in all of his goodness. That's why worship is so powerful because all of us here together, whether we're coming from a week where we've celebrated a miracle or coming from a week where God hasn't answered our prayer, we're all standing together and declaring you are good. And that's what we need to do. We need to start with God and the truth of what we know to be true. And then we need to know our calling. We need to remember the path that God has set before us and we need to keep walking no matter what may come ahead of us, no matter what hills may emerge, no matter how narrow that road may get, God has called us to walk through it. But he has not called us to do it alone. Christianity is the one religion in the whole world where actually God enters into our world of pain and suffering. Jesus left the throne to come and be born into a cradle of dirt. And his whole life was working towards one point where he would die on the cross for the sins of the world. 
where he would be beaten and spat upon and accused and wrongly murdered, hung on a cross. But it was actually at that moment that the two railway tracks of grief and joy intersected. Because in the very midst of the greatest injustice of all of history was also the greatest beauty where God was redeeming mankind to himself, where there would no longer be a chasm between God and man, but Jesus would stand in between and he would allow man to be one with God and God with him, to be in relationship with one another. And one day Jesus is going to return. He's going to come in a glorious way and there will no longer be two railway tracks no, no longer two tracks of grief and joy. There will just be one. There will be no more death, no more grief, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. But God will be with his people and his people will be with him. I can't wait for that day. <laughs>